Now, as parents, we experience a lot of ups and downs. Yes or no? Yes. Okay, just making sure you're out there, making sure you're awake. Um, have ever, anybody ever seen Everybody Loves Raymond? I love that show. I, I have a lot of episodes on VHS, which if you were here a few weeks ago, I told you about my DVD recorder. I used it the other night, so I've now used my DVD recorder twice that I thought was such a wonderful thing that I had. Um, just bought a whole season of, of Raymond's because there's so many good examples in there of what to do. Most of the time, it's examples of what not to do. Well, we're going to show you one today where Raymond thinks that his daughter is wanting to know where babies come from. He thinks that he's supposed to do the sex talk. And, and early in the episode, his wife is talking to him about this. And he goes, no, 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 I'll handle it. She's going, Ray, you can't handle this. And he goes, I can handle it. So she gives him all these books. He studies all of these sex books, thinking that he's going to give his daughter a sex talk. And he's in for quite the surprise because she wants to know something a little bit bigger than that. Watch this. Allie? Hey. Hi, Daddy. Hi. What you doing? Playing with my dolls. Oh, good. Good. Listen, um... The other day you, you asked questions about babies and stuff. When you started sneezing. Yeah. Yes, yeah. Um, anyway, I was wondering if you wanted to talk about that now. Okay. Good, good. Let me try to explain a few things. Okay, here's what happens. When a man and a woman love each other very much, they get married. And then sometimes they decide to make a baby. Why are there babies? Right, right. Okay, I'm going to get to that. Okay. What a man and a woman do is... No, I mean, I know that the man and the woman have to do something, but... Why are we born? Why has God put us here? <laughs> because that's what? If we all go to heaven when we die, then why does God want us here first? Um, why does God want us here? Yeah, why? you I heard you you don't want to talk about sex you ever, you ever hear the word fallopian okay all right okay you really want to know why God wants us here first that's a good question 
You see, God is up in heaven, and, well, I, it's very crowded up there. It is? Yeah, yeah. And, and you don't want to be in heaven if it's crowded, right? I mean, remember when we went to Disney World, how crowded that was? Huh? I mean, it was fun, but it was too crowded, right? So God, he sends us down to earth for a little while to ease the heavenly congestion. don't come from the hospital with instructions uh, on how to raise them, many times we're just making up things as we go along, right? I mean, Raymond's making it up because he doesn't have a clue what's happening. What would you say to your kids if they were to ask you about God? Would you be able to answer some of these questions? Um, If not, I hope that when we finish this series that you'll be in a better position to do that. Now, Today I've got some teacups up here, various teacups, uh, different sizes, shapes, different makes. And each of these teacups is unique. My kids love this one. They like to go out and uh, sit on the back porch and swing and, and have the, some tea and talk about the deep philosophical issues of life at, you know, 11 and 9. Um, but they love this, this particular teacup. Now, each one of these teacups is unique. And why were these teacups created? I got one person who knows. Anybody else? What is the purpose of this teacup? To hold tea. Thank you. Now, I could, I could use my teacups for something else because, you know, they might, they might be a good place to put some nails and some screws, you know. My dad did stuff like this, you know, teacups and just whatever. Maybe some, some uh, scraps of wood, maybe even put a tool or two in there. You know, they can, they can hold things like that. But... If they do that, would I dare pour tea in there and serve it to my guests? Yuck. No, no. Now, if this teacup could talk, this teacup would tell you. I'm a, I'm a teacup psychologist, psychologist, you know, the teacup whisperer. If this teacup could talk, it would say that its greatest fulfillment in life is to be filled with tea. Two things, filled with tea and then used by someone else to drink the tea. All right, you with me? Now, let's say that these... Teacups represent our children. Now, I've got them, I've got them in four different um, groups here because I want to talk about parents. They're, when it comes to parents and their attitudes towards God, there's really four types of attitudes when it comes to filling our kids. And what a, what a lot of parents don't realize, much like Ray, is that we have an opportunity. When God gives us our children, they come to us. They were created by God unique, but they were also created by God for a certain purpose. And when we figure out that purpose, which was for the teacup, it's to have tea poured into it. When we figure out that God has created them for a purpose, we help them discover that purpose. We are pouring God into their lives and we're helping them be fulfilled in life. Now, but let's look at these four different attitudes that parents have um, towards God in their children's life. This first group here represents those parents who say that God is just not a big deal. 
Um, it, God's really a waste of time. God really doesn't do anything in our lives, so there's not a whole lot of use in spending any time pursuing things that, that, uh, that bring you closer to God because God's not involved. God doesn't matter. All right? So we'd say that those kids would, uh, would have no dial in, uh, towards God in their life um, advanced at all. Second attitude. These are parents who say, well, yeah, God's important. Like, it's almost like you're, you're creating this recipe and you're trying to help your kids be successful in life. And if you get just the right ingredients, that they'll turn out successful. So, like, you get just enough soccer and just enough band and get a little pinch of God right here. And that flavors your life, that seasons your life so that if you put in all of the right ingredients, you fill them in your child's life, they'll turn out happy. It's kind of wishful thinking, right? I mean, y'all have seen some of that going on. This third group here, these are parents who believe that, that God is very important. That there are foundational issues in our lives, and God is one of them. So a good education, not just a little ingredient, but a good education, you know, studying for a good career. God, you know, foundational stones, all of these stones that are here. And I think that a lot of people are in, in this second and third category when it comes to raising their kids, when it comes to advancing their relationship towards God. They think that if we just add a little God, maybe they'll get it. Or if you're in this third group, that if God is foundational in our lives, then, you know, that'll work. But this fourth group over here, this group believes that God is not just one important ingredient in life. God is the most important ingredient in life. And they believe that if you advance the dial towards God, and you put the, your, your children in a relationship where they are filled with God, it doesn't matter what else they do in life because they will be successful because they figured out that God put them on this earth for a reason. And they discover that reason. Then, no, it doesn't matter if my kids are, are plumbers or if they're sanitation engineers. That doesn't matter. If my kids know God and they know that He is the reason for our existence, then I feel like I have been successful as a parent. Well, there's some things that I want my kids to know and to understand. And I've got to help dial that relationship towards God. Because I think you would agree that, that kids come out of the womb self-centered. Right? You don't have to teach them to, that, that their needs are important. They come out knowing their needs are important and demanding that their needs be met no matter what else is going on in life. Well, there's some things that, that need to happen because a lot of folks, they just, they guess at the meaning of life. And when our kids come to us and they say, you know, what about God or what about, because I guarantee you there's going to be a point in your child's life when they say there's got to be more than this. There's got to be more. I remember looking back, we were at church every time the doors were open. We, we were in the third category that God was foundational. But there came a point in my life when I began to question this thing that my parents had, had taught me about. And it had, I had to move from just this was my parents' faith to this is my faith. And so we got to that point and, and I had to make some decisions. So what we want to do is we want to not guess at the meaning of life like Raymond and his family does. Watch this next part of the episode and see what they come up with as the meaning of life. Look, it turns out Allie doesn't want to know how we get here. She wants to know why we're here, why God put us on earth. And she's waiting for Ray to answer her. What's wrong with you? It's simple. Oh, okay, yeah. We're going to learn the meaning of life from a guy who once threw his shoe at a swan. <laughs> That's called protecting your sandwich. <laughs> Listen to me. Here's what life is. 
You're born, you go to school, you go to work, you die. That's it. That's all. Cannoli Marie. <laughs> Listen, we're not talking about what we do while we're here, Dad. Yeah, yeah, the big question is why we're here in the first place. You know, I've spent many a night lying in bed thinking about this kind of stuff. Life's imponderables. <laughs> You need to find yourself abroad in Pronto. Where are we? Where are we in the big scheme of things? Don't gotta be a pretty one. Just grab something. I think Allie's too young to be worrying about things like this. No, I'm proud of her. I love it that she's such an independent thinker. If she's so independent, why can't she figure this out herself? Just get up there and tell her that God put us on earth to help each other. It's simple, it's direct, it's a good way for her to live her life. What are you talking about? That doesn't answer anything. What, what are you telling me that God said, hmm, earth, let's see, what should I put there? Hmm, that's your God? <laughs> yeah. No way. It's got to be deeper and cool. Hello, I'm God. <laughs> Keep going, Raymond. I think you're a wonderful God. Thank you. Thank you. So what did God say? Hey, uh, I'm going to put some humans on Earth so they can help each other. Or I could just skip humans altogether and go hit a bucket of balls. Oh, I know. It's all in the Bible. You ever think about space? What is it? Is it really endless? I mean, if you had a spaceship, could you go flying and flying through space forever? Why don't you give it a shot? No! I'm not kidding around here. I mean, how can space go on forever? And if it doesn't, then what's at the end, huh? Stop it, Robbie. You'll give yourself a tummy ache. What about the beginning of time? What was it before that? Before time? Nothing? I mean, what is nothing? How could there be nothing? This doesn't bother anybody else. Okay, everybody, listen to me. Listen. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. Okay, okay, okay. <laughs> Let there be light. Okay, 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 okay. It might take me a minute more. Minute more, Marie, religious scholars spend their entire lives trying to answer this question. You're not just going to flip through the Bible and find the meaning of life. Oh, ye of little faith. <laughs> That's in here somewhere, too. Um, the problem is many of us never learn that we're not the center of the universe. And children, we expect that from them. But the bad thing, or I should say the sad thing, is when those kids become adults and they become middle adults and they become older adults and they still think that they are the center of the universe. That's pretty sad. And they're all around us because no one ever told them how they could move from me-centeredness to God-centeredness. No one ever dialed up that spiritual dial, the God in their life, so that they could begin to understand that it's not about me. So if, if it's not about me, how do I get bumped off of me center? Well, 
What you have to do is you begin to ponder who God is. You begin to worship God. You begin to pray. You begin to read so that you become God-centered instead of me-centered. Look at the verse. You have this on your listening guide. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says, Nothing between us and God. Now, Paul is talking about here when you are in the right attitude of worship. When there is nothing between you and God. I don't know if you've ever seen folks who, who get so caught up in worship that, that God just seems to reflect off of their face. My nine-year-old, one time she was singing, she didn't know we were looking, and she has her eyes closed, and she's got her eyes, uh, her hands out like this, and, and I saw a reflection of God in her, and I couldn't even sing, because I was just watching her. I think that's what Paul's talking about. He says, nothing between us and God, our face is shining with the brightness of His face, and so we are transfigured, much like the Messiah, our lives gradually becoming brighter and more beautiful as God enters our lives, and we become like Him. So, in other words, what he's saying is when we see God, that changes us and we become more like him. Um, if we see him a lot, then we're changed a lot is what the idea is. If we see him very little, we're changed a little. If we don't see him at all, we're not changed at all. And I want you to think about the implications if you're in one of these categories as a parent. If you're in the first category and you spend no time pondering God, no time worshiping God, trying to understand who God is, where are your kids going to be? They're going to be a reflection of you. If there's little change happening in your life, there's going to be even less change happening in their life. Unless by the grace of God, he sends someone else who knows God and begins to be influential in their lives. If you're in the second category and you just have a little ingredient of God, that's better. But think about it. How many people do you know go to church on Sunday and there's no difference in their life Monday through Saturday? If there's no difference in their life, what's going to happen to their children? There's going to be very little difference in their lives. If you're in the next one where God is foundational, you have several different things you're juggling. And maybe on a Sunday, yeah, you worship God wholeheartedly. But then Monday through Saturday, maybe you... Worship something else. You wouldn't say that, but if your kids were just to observe the amount of time and the amount of money that you spend on other things, they might think that those things are more important than God. You get to the last category, and if there is much beholding of God, if there is much pondering God, worshiping God, what's going to happen is that's going to filter down to my children and to your children, and that's where life change happens, and that's what we want to happen in their lives. Now, if my child was created by God for a purpose and I fill him with things that 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 aren't of God, I actually help frustrate him and keep him from doing what God has created him to do. So what I want to do is I want to remove those barriers as much as possible. So my children understand that they have two fathers. We talk about this. They have two fathers, one that they can see and touch and hear right now. But they've got a spiritual heavenly father who will never, ever leave them. And that's a big deal if my kids catch on to that. Well, how can I turn the dial spiritually? I want my kids to know two things, and I want you to know this as well today before we leave. The first thing is, if God is for us, who can ever be against us? Now, you've got to understand, the question is not the last six words, who can ever be against us? Because you could figure that out, and we could spend all day talking about who could be against us. Go to the hospital. Do you see good things happening most of the time at the hospital? There's disease. Go down to... Um, uh, the, the cancer ward in Houston. That just makes me sad every time I'm there because disease is against us. Turn on the evening news. Do you usually see good news on the evening news? No. It's, it's about there's, there's this murder. There's this rapist. There are all kinds of, of um, weather-related calamities that are going on in the world. You could list all day things that are against us, but that's not the question. 
The question is, if God is for us, who can be against us? And that changes things um, a great deal. I want you to focus on those four words. God is for us. And I want you to say that with me. And each time we're going to emphasize a different word. So the first time we're going to emphasize the first word. You ready? Say it with me. God is for us. All right. That wasn't very good. Do it again. God is for us. All right. Emphasize the second word. God is for us. All right. Third word. God is for us. And the fourth word. God is for us. Now, this is huge. Just think if we really believed it. We would begin to look around in our everyday life. And we would begin to see God at work. And we would point that out to our kids. If something good happens to us, we'd say, oh, praise God for that. Did you see that? God did that. I I wasn't even thinking about it, but all summer long when it was so hot, I would walk into my house and I would say, thank God for air conditioning. Well, one day my son said it. Another day my daughter said it. They walk in the door. Oh, praise God for air conditioning. Well, think if we began to see God and we really reflected God everywhere. If we get some extra money. Oh, praise God for that. If we get to go do something special. God allowed us to go do something special. That's what we want to do in our kids' lives. Opportunities are all around us. And if our kids get it, oh my goodness. Because you think about sending your kids out into the world. That's not a very happy place, is it? Most people are not looking out for the best interests of your child. So let's say their friends forget them. God is for us. Let's say they have a teacher that just has it out for them. God is for us. Let's say that all kinds of things, maybe the family, the rest of the family turns their backs on them because of the things that have happened in their past. And they are ashamed to admit that they're related to them. God is for us. And God is for you right now. The one who made the oceans and the mountains will listen to your prayers because God is for you. That makes a huge difference. If God had a calendar, your birthday would be circled. If he drove a car, your name would be on the license plate. If there's a tree in heaven, God has carved your name in the bark. Turn to the sidelines. That's God cheering you on. Look past the finish line. That's God clapping his hands, applauding for you. Listen for him in the bleachers, shouting your name. If you're too tired to go on, God says, I will pick you up and I will carry you. Too discouraged to fight. God will fight for you. God is for you. And I desperately want my kids to understand that. Knowing that who can ever be against you? Can death harm you? No. Can disease rob your purpose in life? No. Can your value on earth be diminished no matter what's against you? No, because God is for me. God is for you. You're protected because God is for you. The second thing I want my kids to know. Can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Romans 8, 35. This is an age old question and you probably want to know it yourself. One of the questions I've dealt with the most in ministry is, can I ever do something so bad that God quits loving me? Because a lot of folks have heard about the the sin that, that you cannot repent from, the unpardonable sin. And they want to know what it is. The only unpardonable sin is dying without knowing Jesus. And so if you think about this, what people are saying is, does God love me when I screw up? When I'm a jerk to my wife and my kids, does God love me? When, when I'm out of control because my kids spill the milk or because they're just too slow doing something, does God love me? Because if I'm real honest with you, when I do those things, I don't feel very lovable. I don't think I'm very lovable. I don't know how my wife and my kids put up with me. And you probably feel the same way at times. And the incredible thing is that God answered that question for you before you ever asked it. 
Is there anything I can do that would cause God not to love me? God answered that question. Max Lucado says this. So we'd believe it. He did what no man had ever dreamed. He became flesh and dwelt among us. He placed his hand on the shoulder of humanity and said, you're something special. Untethered by time, he sees us all. From the backwoods of Virginia to the business district of London, from the Vikings to the astronauts, from the cave dwellers to the kings, from the hut builders to the finger pointers to the rock stackers, he sees us all. He saw us even before we were born, and he loves what he sees. Flooded by emotion, overcome by pride, the star maker turns to us one by one and says, you are my child. I love you dearly, and I'm aware that someday you will turn your back on me and walk away. But I want you to know I've already provided a way for you to come back. And to prove it, he did something unthinkable, extraordinary. Stepping from the throne, he removed his robe of light and he wrapped himself in skin. Human, pigmented skin. The light of the universe, this blows my mind. The light of the universe entered a dark womb. He who angels worship nestled himself in the placenta of a peasant girl, was birthed into the cold night and then slept on cow's hay. And then he asks, can anything make me stop loving you? Watch me speak your language, sleep on your earth, feel your hurts. Behold, the maker of sight and sound as he sneezes, he coughs and he blows his nose. You wonder if I know how you feel. Look into the dancing eyes of the kid in Nazareth. That's God walking to school. Ponder the toddler at Mary's table. That's God spilling his milk. You wonder how long my love will last. Find your answer on a splintered cross on a craggy hill. That's me you see up there, your maker, your God, nail stabbed and bleeding, covered in spit and sin soaked. That's your sin I'm feeling. That's your death I'm dying. That's your resurrection I'm living. That's how much I love you. Now go back to Romans. Can anything ever separate us from the love of Christ? And then Paul answers it. I'm sure that neither death nor life nor angels... Um, nor ruling spirits, nothing new, nothing now, nothing in the future, no powers, nothing above us, nothing below us, nor anything else in the whole world will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. God provides everything that our children need to live and, and not just exist, but succeed in life. But it comes with a condition and there's no way to get around it. The condition is, if my children, if your children are going to live the life that God designed them for, then it means they have to give up their rights to their own life and turn those over to God. Can't get around it. That's the way God designed things. Now, it's not that God wants us not to have fun. It's just that God understands that we as humans work better inside the parameters of of some boundaries, of some barriers. And the greatest gift that we can give our kids is parents who have boundaries and then teaching our kids to have boundaries. So if you're going to dial up the spiritual temperature in your children's life, you're going to have to ask three diagnostic questions. And I'm going to challenge you to ask these questions today, but not just today. These have got to be a constant thing that we do every, you know, more often than we check our cars, more often than we have them tuned up, more often than we change the oil or rotate the tires. We need to ask these questions. First question is this. What do I want them to become? We got to decide what we want our kids to become. Because if our goal in life is for them to be a starting NFL quarterback, you know the percentages of someone from Palestine, Texas, becoming a starting NFL quarterback, or from any city for that matter. 
I mean, you probably have heard of Adrian Peterson. Adrian's got a good shot at the NFL if he doesn't get injured. But if that's your only goal, what happens if the kid falls short? What happens if he's less than the 1% of all athletes that ever play football that make it to the NFL? What's happened to his life if he falls short? <laughs> he feels unfulfilled. And, and I actually read a story about a young man who that happened to him. His dad raised him to be a starting NFL quarterback and he made it, became a starter and he was terrible. And it crushed him. Because that's what dad had said was the most important thing in life. When he didn't make it, it crushed him. Now, we spend... Way too much determining the success of our children by their performance. What I want you to do is I want you to think in terms of relationship here. What do you want your kid to become in terms of relationships? And when we pray for our kids, we pray that they will fall in love with God and that they will pursue people who fall in love with God when, they are, when it's time for them to get married. Why? Because if God is for us, who can be against us? If our kids figure that out, then we figure we're successful parents. And because if God is for us, who can be against us? Look at Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Never rely on what you think you know. Remember the Lord in everything you do, and He will show you the right way. Who in here knows what's going to happen tomorrow? I don't know, but God does. So, what do we tend to do? We rely on what we think we know. Probability. I was praying this week and I was saying, God, how come just as humans, we, we tend to forget you. We tend to think that we know what's going to happen. And then when something happens that we didn't expect, we get upset with you. We get hacked at you, God, because it didn't go the way we think it should go. God knows what's going to happen. And if, if my kids learn that, then, then they're going to be better off in the long run. Um, you have to answer question number one before you go to question number two. So you've got to determine what do you want your kids to become? Second question, where are they right now? Where are your kids right now? Now, the, the hard part of answering this question is, I've got to admit that my kids are right where I put them. If I've not done anything to help them come to know God, then spiritually they're right where I put them. Emotionally, they're right where I put them. Why do we carry on the bad habits of our parents? Because we are right where they put us. And then we pass on those same things to our children. Somebody's got to stand up and break the cycle. Now, once you decide, figure out where they are, once you decide what you want them to become, we've got to discern their spiritual condition. And our kids have become the teachers and, and we have become the learners. They teach us by their behavior what needs to happen in their lives. Um, if your kids were in danger physically... Would you do something to help them out? Sure. Most of you would say, I would die for my kids. I would put myself in harm's way for my kids. Well, my word to you today is that they are in danger spiritually. Because there is an enemy of God. His name is Satan. And he wants to take your kids down. If you don't believe it, we've got all kinds of prisons around. We've got juvenile detention center. We've got prisons Go visit some folks in there and see if Satan doesn't want to destroy their lives. Your kids are in danger spiritually and, and we've got to do something about it. Maybe God is not calling us to die for our children. Maybe God is calling us to live in a different way so that our kids can come to know God. Third question. How can I help them take the next step? 
You've got to decide, do you want them to know God? You've got to determine where they are spiritually. And then we've got to decide if, if um, what we have to do to help them come to know God. You may determine that they're not a Christian and you want to do everything you can. You can't make your kids accept Christ. But I remember my daughter, outside of, of Herschel's, they were coming to church one Wednesday night. And we're listening to this little tape and it's singing about life without Jesus is like a donut because there's a hole in the middle of your heart. And uh, just singing this song is by the donut man. And, and then he, he talks about asking Jesus into your heart. She's, I think she was five at the time. And she goes, Mama, when can I ask Jesus to come into my heart? And Janie said, you want to do that right now? Sure. So they pull over into Herschel's and she asked God to come into her heart. So they come to church and, man, they come busting in. I was getting ready for youth on Wednesday night and they come busting in. I remember Rachel saying, Daddy, 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 I asked Jesus to come into my heart. And I was like, cool, what does that mean? Because, you know, I wasn't just going to ex- expect that she knew everything. She starts telling me what she's done. We made, we made her wait at least a year before we would baptize her because I wanted to make sure she understood. Um, so you can do things that help your kids come to know Christ. You can't force them to accept Christ. Some of you may be thinking that your kids, um, that they're facing temptation right now and you want to help them with temptation. And, you know, this isn't about forcing your kids to do something that, that they don't want to do, because this is something I've heard. And we talked about this this week in, in our planning meeting that a lot of times, you know, we'll say, oh, I don't want to force religion on our kids. Number one, I'm not talking about religion. I'm talking about relationship, dialing up the relationship with God. But. To say that you don't want to force your kids into doing something, let me just ask you some questions. When they're little, do you force them to sit in a car seat? Do they want to sit in a car seat? You do it because that's best for them. When you are going somewhere, do you let your kids determine? My parents live 500 miles from here. My kids know that it's a long trip. Do I let my kids determine every time we stop on the trip? No. Because we would never get there. So you force your kids to do some things. You force your kids to eat certain things that that are against their will. And I'm not saying you force them to come to know God. But what I'm saying is the principle is you put them in a position where they can know God. And and it has nothing to do with forcing religion on them. I hope you understand that. Um, What we're talking about today matters. And I don't want you to put this off. So I want you to begin asking yourself these questions. If you don't if you don't know how to put your kid in a better relationship or, or in a, an atmosphere where God can can do some things in their life, talk to a friend who knows about spiritual matters or, or, or talk to somebody that you trust who understands spiritual matters and talk about some things that you can do in their life. Now, maybe. Maybe the reason we can't lead our kids to a place where they know God, maybe the reason we can't dial this up. This God relationship up in our God's in our kids lives is because we can't take our kids any place that we're not. Maybe the reason we can't lead our kids to be right spiritually is because we're not right spiritually. And maybe the best thing that we can do today is give parents or those of you who are going to be parents an opportunity to get your life right spiritually. We spend a lot of time here making sure the children's stuff is excellent. And we spend a lot of time telling your children about God. But the most influential people in your children's life are you. You'll have far more impact for the long term than we will. 
And so here's what I want to do. I want you to take your registration cards. Everybody should have gotten a registration card today. Fill that out real quickly. And I want you to turn over on the back and I'm going to have you do just a couple of things.